Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, the podcast covering the number one singles in Australia throughout the 90s. My name is Danny Yao and with me as usual is Tim Coyle. Hello Cleveland. <laughs> Casey Atkins. Hello everyone. And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. Ahoy hoy. Today we're going to talk about another five songs that cover the end of 1992, taking us into 1993. These five songs that we'll talk about will take us from October till about March. So that's almost six months. That's quite a long period, and there's a couple of songs in there that certainly had decent runs at the top. And let's just head straight into it with a song that was number one for seven weeks in 1992. This is Billy Ray Cyrus. With achy, breaky heart. You can tell the world you never was my girl. You can burn my clothes when I'm gone. Oh, you can tell your friends just what a fool I've been and laugh and joke about me on the phone. You can tell my arms go back into the phone. You can tell my feet to hit the floor Or you can tell my lips to tell my fingertips They won't be reaching out for you no more Don't tell my heart, my achy, breaking heart I just don't think you'd understand And if you tell my heart, my achy, breaking heart He might blow Okay, so that was Billy Ray Cyrus with Achy Breaky Heart, number one for seven weeks from October the 3 uh, till the 21st of November. So that is a very long run. And so, well, where do we start, guys? Tim Coyle, maybe we should start with you. Oh, Achy Breaky Heart. Well, when I was listening to it this week, I, when it started, I had this worrying moment that this was going to be another humping around moment. Because oh, yeah, that's yeah, like it. It. <laughs> <laughs> it. Because that guitar at the start's got a really nice tone, and when he starts singing, he's got a good voice. And then it gets to the chorus, and all hell breaks loose. And I don't know whether when they were recording it, Billy Ray was kind of hooked up to a bathtub full of moonshine or something, because it slow, well, not slowly, it rapidly goes downhill from there. And yeah, he goes from having this pleasing twang to this really put on horrible uh, thing that goes on. I really hated it at the time because. I did, even growing up in Tamworth, I really didn't like country music at this age, and this just represented it, it represented all of the worst excesses of that kind of Nashville Uki from Muskogee attitude that <laughs> I really, really hated at the time. And yeah, just the put on twanginess of everything, the line dancing, the orange jacket, the mullet. It, was a perfect storm of utter shittiness. So, yeah, hated it then, and my God, listening to it now, it's... Um... Tim Byron, what about you? Yeah, so um, in my head, this song is called Achy Breaky Fucking Heart, and I've actually been wondering this week... <laughs> I've actually been wondering this week whether I should call it Achy Fucking Breaking Heart or Achy Breaky <laughs> Fucking Heart. And, and then it occurred to me that the right thing to actually call the song was Achy Fucking Breaky Fucking Heart. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, I mean... So you liked it then? <laughs> no. So I didn't grow up in Tamworth, the country music capital of Australia or anything. And um, in 1992, I think I actually didn't mind country music so much at that particular point. Like... I liked uh, Way Out West by James's Rain and Blundell. And, yeah, the um, Dingo's cover. Yeah, the Dingo's cover. I, I like that. I got that single and I like, you know, Justified and Ancient by the <laughs> KLF, which had Tammy Wynette singing. You know, I, I didn't mind a bit of twang at that point. Um, I, I did come to hate it eventually and eventually came to like it again. But, you know, even though I didn't mind a bit of twang, like I, I heard Achy Breaky Heart and I knew even as like a 10 year old in 1992 that this was fucking awful. Like it was just so repetitive. It was just like nails down the chalkboard for me. Like I suspect it's going to be for all of you guys. It's weird. And listening to it now, like, you know, it's, it's not better. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, thing, the thing I listen to it and think now is that, like, wow, he's doing an Elvis impression. Like, he's got that kind of, oh, mm. tell my heart. 
you know, that kind of like Elvisy kind of impression kind of thing going on. And I wonder if that's like a, just he's from the same part of the South or something or whether he was deliberately but doing that. But, but that's yeah. the thing, he doesn't start, but he doesn't start the song off that way. It's his, his voice is quite, quite pleasing to begin with. And it's only as the song goes on that that put on accent just becomes thicker and thicker and just the, the, the ruralisms and the countryisms. So tell your blood brother Cliff that his fist can tell my lip. This <laughs> is funny, but also just the whole jukes and hazardy nature of it. It's just like, ugh. <laughs> like, this is what people assume the, the country is. Casey Atkins, what about you? Yeah, well, so Tim Coyle and I both grew up in Tamworth, and this is. Uh, <laughs> where do you even go? So it was number one towards the end of. a a year of 1992 and the country music festival is in January. So this song was just, it was still absolutely huge. And it was probably the start of line dancing, I reckon. Um, Yeah. And we all know what line dancing is. Yeah. It's in the clip. You'll see it. And that just became the most ridiculously big craze. And it drove me fucking mental. Um, <laughs> even at the age of 12. And this song, as far as I was concerned, was to blame for the whole thing. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's interesting that um, Tim Byron talks about, you know, the liking country, growing to hate it and growing to like it again. I was fairly similar as well. Mm. And this was one of the big things that drove me to, that, to the hatred mm. of country. And probably from here on in, through to the time that I left Tamworth, I was I was hating country, and then I moved to Sydney and heard some good country music, and, and now I love it. But yeah, th- this is kind of as far as I can see. Um, yeah, stands for all that is evil in country music. Uh, you know, listening to it this week, it's just a punchline to a joke. <laughs> yeah, really. yeah. yeah. That, that, that no one ever asked. But. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a punchline that nobody ever set up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just just on Tim Byron's point, Billy Ray Cyrus was from Kentucky, not uh, Memphis, Tennessee. So there's no excuse for all this going on. <laughs> Danny Yao, how do we feel about achy, breaky, hard? Yeah, it's just a joke in yeah. every sense of the word, isn't it? It is. Uh, even in, in the context of country music, this is a novelty song. Mm. And it is, yeah, and uh, I don't understand how it got to number one. Like, I mean, I do because I know novelty singles do that, but I've got, you've got to think that a couple of hundred thousand people thought this was a serious song. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, the, the message in the lyric is just nothing. I mean, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sense of heartbreak and don't leave me, but obviously we're going to be talking about songs that really feel that tonight, yeah. and this is not mm. one of them. Well, it's just so totally off. Oh, it's <laughs> just, yeah, it's pure novelty. If anything, being someone who pretty loves country music, uh, you know, as much as we all love it, if not more because it's a real passion of mine, this song is the reason that when I tell people I like country music, they look at me. Yeah, yeah. And the shadow of this song, for people our age, still does it. So Mm. to some degree, fuck you. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, so my clearest memory of this song from 1992, once again, is the The late show parody (laughs) and how brilliant is it. I don't know if you guys know it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tim Byron. No, I don't think yeah, I know. Tell us about just, it. So Mick Malloy and Tony Martin decided to change their names to Mick Ray Malloy and Tony Ray Martin. <laughs> 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 so what, <they're> successfully. <laughs> and we'll, we'll definitely put the, put the video on the blog, but it's just... God, what a lyric. It's like, don't buy this song, this stupid would-be song, with <laughs> shitty, witty, rhyming, wimey words. <laughs> and then it's just like ridiculous... Like torches, like you can you can take a hose, attach it to my nose, and fill it through a steamy doggy turns. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you can do anything. And the thing is, the effort they put into writing that parody is probably the effort he put writing that song. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just that oh, Cliff. Well, you can go to Cliff and burn it in my lips. Like, you can tell Louise anything you please. Hey, sweet. <laughs> I, I, knew someone, I knew someone called Cliff in Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. 
Anthony yes. Aaron. That's going to be your Just don't care. <laughs> World Rides Red Girl. Um, so, yeah, it's not it's not one of my favourite songs. It's a song just, that I've had to sort of get over. <laughs> just, just quickly, I mean, you guys growing up in Sydney, obviously with us growing up in Tamworth, it achieved a certain degree of resonance with people we were around and talking about knowing people who bought this song. I mean, was it a thing in Sydney? Were people in the city buying this song and was it shaping people's perceptions of what the country was? Oh, there were people in my school doing line dances. Really? Like, not many. (laughs) 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 But, like, you know, like, like the teacher might get us to do it in like music class or like assembly or whatever like it's just because it became a thing that everyone knew and it's so simple and I guess there's that in aerobics and you three or whatever the year I was in that time but like it was just yeah it was pretty yeah I did see it around but obviously I wasn't old enough to be going to clubs to see if there were urban cowboys <laughs> no it was it was definitely a big moment in pop culture and I think Huge in uh, huge in Sydney as well. Byron, what are your kind of memories? Yeah, I don't have much of a memory of of this song, like people dancing to it or stuff. I think there was like a craze in sort of like adults, and I can sort of imagine my mum might have gone to like because they were my parents were divorced. Like I can imagine my mum must have gone to signals nights where they must have lion danced because she's like. Not too long after this, um, she started getting into stuff like Lee Kernighan and Gina Jeffries, and like that's when I started hating country music. Like when I had to hear a lot of that. Exactly, and that was from Tamworth. Like to me, that's Tamworth country music. And yeah. That's what that that's shitty country music. Which, which, and then I come to, came to Sydney and heard the first couple of Wilco records and Gillian Welsh and, and whatever, and I was like, oh, that's country music. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is also reflects a lot of the the internal politics of country music insofar as there's Nashville in the US, which mm. has the sheeny shiny, commercialised sound, and then there's everywhere else, which is trying to do, uh, as Hank had done it, as mm. uh, Waylon Jennings might have put it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this is certainly not how Hank had done it. <laughs> I'm not sure this is terribly representative of mainstream Nashville country even. Like, not nowadays, no. no. This is a pop crossover single. Yeah. Uh, and it's... Uh, and it's a novelty song as and well. It's a novelty yeah. song, and it just sort of just took the vibe of it and... Yeah, and uh, I have to say it's no more damage than good. <laughs> I just have this funny thing in my head because um, I've been thinking about how this would go all week because we um, usually, you know, we talk about a song, we go around the table, and then usually Danny will say, you know, we'll talk about the fly and Danny will say, so, you know, how do we feel about you 2 in general? And I've just been waiting for the question, how do we feel about Billy Ray Cyrus <laughs> in general? <laughs> Well, well uh, <laughs> can I just say, okay, so I do not know anything else about Billy Ray Cyrus other than he is still a superstar in the country music. Well, now you know he's from Kentucky. And now I know he's from his daughter. On the Miley Cyrus on that show, and he's on that show. Yeah. But he came out and was supposed to come out. It was supposed to come out to Australia just in January to headline CMC Rocks the Hunter, but he pulled out. No way. So he's still a big name in that world. And... It's it's my worry about this song and Billy Ray Cyrus. So you asked me seriously what I think about Billy Ray Cyrus. Uh-huh. And so you take a band like Blur, who for me are one of the most interesting, talented, groundbreaking bands of the 90s, who for most people are just a one-hit wonder. Mm. And I wonder if, like, Billy Ray Cyrus wrote sort of great songs, great ballads <laughs> and other albums, and he just wrote a novelty song that managed to cut through I doubt it. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put money on it. <laughs> but there is, he well, still has a big audience well, okay. that loves many more songs than I, this one. I do rather enjoy the, the bi- biographical part of his Wikipedia page. Left-handed <laughs> Cyrus tried to play his father's guitar, but could not. Full stop. Our next song of tonight was number one for four weeks in November of 1992. This is Boys to Men with End of the Road.
That was Boys to Men with End of the Road. Tim Byron, why don't we start with you? What does End of the Road mean to you? Yeah, Boys to Men, they were such nerdy looking dudes, weren't they? Like, you, know, you look back at them and they all, they all look like, you know, they spent a lot of time in the library, you know, doing, you know, working on their acapella tracks. Like, you can't really imagine them in a shootout with Tupac or something. <laughs> Losing. Pretty badly. If you know, Sue Knight was like, you know, I'm going to take your all your royalties. They'd be like, okay, 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 all good, all good, whatever you want. So, um, remember last last week, I was all about jump, like I was about at the school dance, like everyone was jumping up and down at at that. After crisscross, after House of Pain, after all the jumping, you know, all all these uh, kids in year five and year six were just tired out. And so at the end of the night, like the slow dance song, I vividly remember being End of the Road. Like that was the one that like the couples, you know, yeah, the 10-year-old yeah. couples would dance to slowly. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at them all and thinking, what is this shit? Because <laughs> I didn't care. Really? Yeah, I, I, was I remember looking at them and I remember looking at them thinking, I wish I had a girlfriend. I think I thought I must have also thought that, but like I must have been like, oh, girls are weird because I was still only ten. Like you know, the, the puberty hadn't set in by that point. So yeah, so in my head, this is like the archetypal slow dance song. Like it's like the the song they play at a club to say, time to go home now. So yeah, so listening to it now, like it's really laying it on thick. This song, like it, it really, really is. Like it's got that kind of Mariah Carey kind of melismatic vocals. It's got that guy doing the really? deep. You don't find it subtle. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there subtlety to this song? No, no. And then there's the deep voice, Barry White, like Karen Goodenough, oh, all up, kind of stuff. Oh, the spoken word aside, I love that. So listening to it now, like this is, it's totally laying it on thick as a song. Like it's got the kind of the melismatic vocals, the you know that Barry White kind of deep voice decides, and it's like it, it's it's a total sort of fan service kind of song. Like it, it's like basically giving their 13 year old girl fans like permission to date that boy at the school that they like. But it's okay because when boys to men eventually come around and like tour, then they can have them. Don't care about you seeing that other film. <laughs> that is awesome, Casey. I can tell about you. Uh, I'm going to preface everything I'm about to say with sorry, Danny. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's a fucking pile of shit. <laughs> what bugs me so much? Look, like, in terms of, at the time, it was one of those songs that was just it, another one of those songs I didn't really like because it was getting into that slow ballady, boring space, and also starting to get into this R&B soul thing that was starting to, I guess, develop and, and start bubbling up around this point, I did not get into at all. Um, and this was another example of that. Now, I've listened to it this week and I just, oh, man, you can all sing. Why don't you just sing? Why do you have to do all that American Idol? I'm asking, can you? And that, just the terrible... MIDI sounding instruments and that guitar track in the right ear that's just been beating down my right ear all week. That awful fucking palm muted guitar. It's kind of made me that sad. But it's not even close to No, it's not. (laughs) But this is the thing about it, I guess for me, it's it's called soul and they call it soul R and B, but it doesn't have any soul for me. It just doesn't have any. And um I don't really like it. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Danny. <laughs> Tim Collins. Well, look, I really liked it at the time. Everyone really liked it at the time from memory. And the thing except is, me. yeah, except Casey, <laughs> evidently. But this just this coincided with uh, the end of the school year and us being in year six at the time. Seemed to take on this extra level of meaning. So when Tim Byron's talking about it being the last song played at the school social at the end of the year, I think people were reading into it. Yes, we've come to the end of the road, yeah. and, and yes, this is some kind of rite of passage. Which you know, it's got to be one of the stupidest rites of passage that uh, mm. that exists. Moving from primary school to high school, but yeah, everyone was deeply into this, as as was I, and marvelling at the harmonies of the voices. And, yeah, as an adult, obviously adults bought this song, but I can't see why. This is such a, like, something that kids would get into, but 
anyone with an adult sensibility, I don't see kind of what you would be would be latching on to there. But yeah, it's just the histrionics of it and the the degree to which all of them are just piling on the ham. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, this is ham central for me. <laughs> um, it's too much. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of like it. I know you. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. And I, I kind of like it. I really like this album. And is this, is this Coolie by Harmony? Yeah, Coolie yeah. by Harmony on Motown, you know? And, like, it was this. It was Motown Philly fallen. in the still of the night. Like, they were just, yeah. Anyway, um, there is a part of me that thinks that it's, it, I blame the bands. Like, at this point in my life, I loved Boys to Men as much as I loved Nirvana. Right. And the fact that alternative guitar music got so good, and by all accounts, in every single metric that you can, like, critically and sales and like, R&B got so bad, <laughs> that is the only reason I didn't follow that boat, because basically this year would be the last of any R&B records until maybe Babyface or something like that in 97. So, like, it is... I thought it was a great fun little... I mean, if you're a high school student, I think your point about... Anyone old buying it? I don't know. I think they were just a boy band. Like, no one over 30 has bought a One Direction record or a Nick <laughs> from a block record. Like, they were just a boy band. The ones buying it for their kids did. Yeah, maybe, but, yeah, well, yes, because there wasn't that much babysitting. Well, the end user is still the same. So. But I thought this song was great at the time. Yes, it was the end of every school formal. It was the end of Year 6 going in, like, you know, that was the Year 6 song. You know, and then I'm sure for that year of year 12, that was their song. It's like Vitamin C's Friends Forever or well, Green yeah. Days. Well, I was going to say, you know, that, <laughs> yeah. that, in our year 12, that was yeah. time of your life. Yeah, like yeah, Green yeah. Day, that was which I sang in front of the oh, school. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got up in year 12 and sang, it's the end of the world. <laughs> 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 every single word to to a thunderingly silence. <laughs> what, people didn't yell out Leonard Bernstein? <laughs> they didn't do the clap. Uh, anyway, but... Man, your school sucks. <laughs> but, um, Wait, mine did too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I really did kind of like this song. Listening to it today, I still... There's a lot in it that I love, but that bass singing... Oh, okay. It's the, the monologue. It's, it is so unintentionally hilarious. It's just so I'm, I'm going to get closer to the mic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted that moment to exist in so many other songs for no reason. <laughs> you know, why don't we shoot you for a solo here? Let's just get the deep voice guy to talk. And he's such a sleazy come on. Oh. <laughs> and there's like watching the film clip today. There's just it's that. Teachers on that line of boy band sexuality, sensuality thing. Like the guy, so the guy who does the best thing in the film clip is my favorite guy. He's not even the best guy. It's the guy that I call the over actor. He's the out of all of them, he's the over actor. <laughs> wow, I know. <laughs> when, you, when you watch it again, he's the Shatner. He's the Shatner. <laughs> he sings a bit leading up to the chorus, which always oh, starts with no. You love me again. Like, you love. like he just has no restraint to his voice and he just comes in like a freaking bulldozer and just rocks the song over and it's hilarious. I'm just imagining like a Shatner spoken word version of the song. To the end oh, we of The Road. Of the Road. And we can <laughs> let go, yeah, et cetera. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a song really, I mean, it's, it's so hammy, it needs to be done by the king of ham. Yeah. So, Boys to Men were part of this scene mm. of early 90s R&B, soulful, acapella-ish, you know, this, and that thing that you said, Casey, about the start of that American Idol overseeing that, that really came along with Mariah Carey. And it was everywhere. And I would say that Boys to Men were one of the few groups that actually did that well. But how do we feel about that kind of stuff? Was that becoming, like, even by now, it was fast becoming the enemy for me. So. Is that the same for you, Casey? It's def- definitely the same for me. It was becoming, like, I was really wanting to hear bands 
mm. by this point. You know, I wanted to hear guitar and bass and drums, you know, and this was just the enemy to what I was. This was just a distraction along the road of what I was trying to listen to. I mean, if you listen to some of the songs that I'm putting forward for the Choose Your Own Adventure episodes, you know, I'm listening to the Screaming Jets and Poison and all of that, and something like this is just it's just a distraction to, to the, the music that I really wanted to hear. Did anyone else... <laughs> Have any love for this? I, d- I did at the time. Um, there's this. I think also in 1992 there was um, what's the what's the song? Is um, Luther Vandross and um, oh, best things in life. Yeah, yeah. best things yeah. in life are free. Which yeah, it kind of has that very R and B New Jack swing. Oh my god, that's one of my favorite kind of, of time, kind of so. thing going on. <laughs> I was a big fan of that. Yeah, I like I like this. I when look on Casey's <laughs> face, but Daddy said that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, on to our third song of tonight. This is a song that was number one for 10 weeks all up, the last two weeks of 1992, and eight weeks into 1993. Listen to the crowd, cheer it on. This is Whitney Houston with I Will Always Love You. If I should stay, I would on. Be in your way, so I'll go. But I know I'll think of you every step of the way, and I. Whitney Houston with I Will Always Love You, number one for 10 weeks, one of the highest selling singles of the 90s. Casey Atkins, I don't think we'll start with you, start with you yet. How do you feel about this song? Do I say no comment? <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because this, this is obviously a cover of a Dolly Parton song, so um, in the context of Achy Breaky Heart, and we were talking about Tamworth and the Country Music Festival and everything. So this song was a, just another one mm, that right. all the buskers were all over. Um, and for that reason and the fact that it was on my TV screen every Saturday morning for 10 goddamn weeks, oh, yeah, it's terrible. I like she pulls off a pretty good vocal performance, I suppose, and, and um, she's a... Look, she's an outstanding singer. There's no doubt about that. It's a song for a purpose. It was from a movie. Like, we've talked about a few different movie songs that um, that phenomenon of people buying music that wouldn't have usually bought music, but because it would, like, bought a single, but because it was from such a huge um, movie, then that's what got it there. I don't have anything really else to say about it. Like, I don't like it, and... Um, and I didn't like it then or I won't like it now but I don't have the energy to, to hate on it I, I kind of wish I did and we could pull out a uh, the fire of a thousand burning suns kind of thing but I, I couldn't be bothered to hate this song I couldn't be bothered to have an opinion well let's see if anyone else hates this song then uh, Tim Coyle what about you? Speaking of ham <laughs> <laughs> this is all leg of ham kind of jammed down your throat Oh, man, I, I really didn't like it at the time because, hey, it dislodged end of the road from the top <laughs> of the charts. You know, that was upsetting and it was it was kind of, this is, the, this is the end note of the year. I'm moving into high school. It's like, yeah, okay, you know, being 11, leaving primary school is Whitney Houston. That means it's, it's crap. I'm moving on to better things kind of thing. And we'll, we'll get on to that with another song that we listened to this week. But, yeah, just... Vocal histrionics and piling it on thick. It's kind of one of the, this is the American Idol style 
down to a T. It's what so many contestants try to replicate. And the thing is, you can just see the, the technical ability that Whitney Houston has, like her, her husband, who we spoke about last week, just has that vocal ability, which is incredible. But for me, it's like looking at the members of the Manhattan Project. It's, you, you're talking about people who have incredible ability and you could admire the, the skill and ingenuity that goes into it, but the result is just catastrophic and ruinous to, to everyone. And, yeah, that's, that's the way I feel about it. This is the, the Dolly Parton original, and to get on to Casey's, what Casey was saying about that with Buskers playing it is kind of, Buskers wouldn't have even heard the Dolly original before they heard the Whitney song and just played it because, oh, it's a Dolly song, therefore that gives me some kind of country music credit. Uh, I, I quite like the Dolly version. It's it's not restrained, but it's more restrained than this. <laughs> and we'll talk a little bit more about the Dolly version yeah. in a second, but Tim Byron, just quick, well, yeah, what are your thoughts? As a 10-year-old, I think I didn't mind this song at first. Like, I think listening to it, like when I sort of heard it the first couple of times when it got to number one, like it was like, oh, yeah, this is okay. This is like a, a ballad. It's, it does what it does. It's pretty good. Um, and, yeah, like as I as it was on the top of the charts for 10 weeks, I got really, really sick of it because it was just keep on being there and it just kept on being this song that was there. Why is this song still at number one? Why? Why? And um, <laughs> always love you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this song has been number one for eternity. Ah. But, I mean, like, you know. It's not a song for 10-year-olds in 1992. It's a song for the middle-aged housewives. And, um, you know, middle-aged housewives deserve to have their own music that's good music. And, um, you know, Adele <laughs> is music for middle-aged housewives, and she's really good. And this isn't. Like, I think, I think, like, I listen to this now, and it's got all the really bad tricks from songs of this period. It's got that fucking sax solo that's just like... I, oh, God. I was listening to it this week and I'm like, there's going to be a sax solo soon, isn't there? And then there was, and I was like, oh. <laughs> and, and then there's like truck driver key change, which is like, you know, there's just a silence. And then suddenly like she's, you know, silent for a few seconds. It goes for a couple of bars longer than it needs to. And then bam, truck driver key change. And the thing with oh, this yeah. song. Oh, I've never heard that expression before. That's uh, honest, brilliant. The yeah, truck driver that, that key change. Really? Yeah, I've never heard of it. Changing gears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I got the key change. Going back to the hand thing, that's just like being clobbered around the head with a leg of hand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the other thing with this song is that, like, you know, I was listening to it like yesterday and I was like, okay, cool, this song's almost over. And then, like, I looked at the. Um, the, the time thing. And there was still another 45 <laughs> seconds of the song. Like, this song really? is like Return of the King. Like, it just keeps... You think it's over. You know, Gollum's, <laughs> Gollum's <laughs> fallen into Mount Doom. And, and then, oh. the, then it goes for another hour after that. And this song is kind of like that. Like, it's almost at the end. And then there's a... Ooh, ah. And she does that for about 30 seconds at the end. And then you think it's over? No, she's going to go up another tone. And then, like, it just doesn't stop. It's like, ah... I guess the thing with the song is like the acapella bit at the front of the song is great. Like when it's just her singing by herself, she, there's not too much histrionics in that. Um, like she's just like, she really holds that song. And there's, there's a tone in her voice, which is like really powerful. Like there's, there's something in the tone of her voice, which like, you know, she feels like a force of nature. And I, I listen to that and I can respect that. And I respect, you know, she, she was good at what she was doing. Danny. Yeah. I like this song. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there it is. <laughs> This is a song that is takes a song, and it doesn't change too much in terms of, like, it doesn't change the lyrics or, or, or chords or anything like that, and has managed to make a cover version to be, feel and become something almost completely different. So for that, that's great for me. I actually had the opposite response listening to it this week. I was expecting it to be a six-and-a-half-minute Brian Adams single, and it actually breezed by quite nicely for me. Mm. It had that a cappella bit, and it is so restrained for that first half of that song. And then it is really just after that key change, and she finds herself in the snow in the film <laughs> <laughs> that it, that it goes wrong. Like if they were to maybe just get to that key change and cut the song at four minutes, I would say it's a fantastic single. Like I mean, if the if the truck driver parked. Well, <laughs> no, just as the truck turned up. <laughs> and, and just sort of, you know. If you did drive past that gas station, yeah, it, it would have been so much better. 
you know, there are badly produced songs in the world with terrible sounds behind it. And I don't think this is one. Like, I mean, her soft voice sounds great. It's not treated. There's not a terrible synth bass or something behind it or anything like that. You know, it's yeah, not. Yeah, the keyboard sound isn't Jim, good in my head. Oh, you know, it's it's better than Save the Best for Last. Yeah. Yeah. But- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Using that, know, using that as your baseline. But that, I am using that as my baseline. Like, I mean, there is something a little bit more timeless about it. In that, people are still trying to sound like this song. Are they? I have to say, yeah. On American Idol, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Right. we talked about the Idol thing. I think, as I said, this is the 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 touchstone of so many Idol performances. People I mean, want to be able to show off their that, singing that chops. version, that yeah. UK Idol winner that you did, Hallelujah, the Leonard Cohen song, oh, is exactly what they were trying to do with this. It's a, and it was like um, a very darkly... Sorry, leader. sorry, did somebody do a cover of Hallelujah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a song that hasn't been covered very much. Yeah. They've oh, wow. gone back and discovered it. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have a question, though, for everyone. And it's more going to be more interesting for the Tamworth guys. Did you guys know this song before this version? No. No. Okay. Did no. anyone know this song before this I version? I don't. Because it wasn't like a big song for Dolly, wasn't it? No. Oh, I, I, well, I, I kind of remember there was a degree, for myself, there was a degree of shock when I think it was a radio announcer said, hey, this is actually a cover of a Dolly Parton song, and then proceeded to play the Dolly Parton song. I was like, oh, whoa. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I was like, my mind was blown. There's a recording of um, Big Star doing this song in 1975 or so on a radio station. Mm. Like Alex Chilton, it is kind of most that. sort of dissolute, mm. like singing this song. And so he must have found that at the time and enjoyed it. And it's got it's very different sounding kind of thing to this because he doesn't sing it very well, but that's kind of what he does. So <laughs> Yeah, well, it's got that very shit-kicking thing, which Chilton had at the time. Yeah. Just, you know, play it, kind of mumble it out. Oh, see, I love the song. I love the song. Mm. song. Like that opening line. It's so freaking almost the Smiths. It's almost like, <laughs> you know, there's something really. Um, if I should say, I would only be in your way. Yeah, it's almost Radiohead it, creep. Sort yeah. Of thing, you yeah. Know? There's yeah, something true. really ridiculously self-depreciating about it to the point of, uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, but yeah, it's interesting to me that it, it improved Dolly's career to my eyes. Like, I mean, Dolly Parton for me in 1992 was a joke. Yeah. yeah, she she was, but I think we do underestimate the degree to which a lot of people took her seriously. Like in 1992, there were still people who I grew up around who she wasn't a joke for, mm. and that was a lot of people. People who listened to country music and liked that Nashville sound, she never was a joke to them. Hmm. I listened to the Dolly Parton version and the Whitney Houston version sort of back-to-back, and the thing I notice about it is the way that Dolly sings it, she's just sort of quietly kind of trying to, you know, she's saying all this stuff about, you know, I'll never stand in your way and I'll always love you, and the subtext for her is like, um, you're a prick and you don't know what you're missing. But, like, you know, I'm just going to be, like, really nice about yeah. it so, like, you know, I can just sort of drive the point home that you're a prick and you don't know what you're missing. Whereas um, Whitney, mm. like, she, she's almost like when she sings that and when she's just like, and I, like, you know, she just like. Well, she's playing it, she's playing it straight. Yeah, she sounds like she's like, I am going to suffocate you with my brilliance. It's what I hear in her voice And it doesn't quite work with the lyrics in a way But it doesn't, you know, it was a hit because that didn't matter Like it was the the brilliance that mattered of of who she was You know, um, Danny was sort of talking about how like you think it's kind of put on I kind of don't think it is I mean, like by this point she was married to Bobby Brown And he was a jerk Mm. and he was probably cheating on her And and this was probably her saying, you know I'm always going to love you um, even though you're a jerk Like I, I, I get that feeling of sense of like you know, I, you you can't stop me from loving you, even though you're such a fucking jerk kind of thing in this song. And I suspect that maybe there's a bit of that in there. Because, I mean, like, living with him must have been a bit of a, a struggle, you know? We get a second week of basically ripping the crap out of Bobby Brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that he's singing a song called Humping Around. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting dynamic emerging very early on in the marriage. Look, I just don't believe she felt that way about Kevin Costner. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, our fourth song of tonight is 
Number one, the first number one, original number one song from 1993. This song was number one for four weeks. Four weeks. Think about this. <laughs> and it's Sonia Dada with You Don't Treat Me No Good. It's funny listening to this this week. Um, I, I put put on the version that I was listening to on Spotify, and um, I listened to it, and I was like, "Is this like a radio recording?" It has that kind of sound to it, like they they played it live on a radio station, and the radio station's been playing it. It like it has that kind of acoustic kind of radio version kind of sound of it, and so um, yeah, listening to it was weird because like it doesn't sound like a a professionally produced single. Like that was the thing I feel yeah. about it. But like, you know, it's a nice it's a nice enough sort of catchy, soulful kind of song. It's pleasant, it's catchy. It's not a song I ever think I really paid attention to because like why would you? But it was nice enough ha- being on the background in the radio. So it's kind of a bit like a uh, London beat for me. Like it's kind of like it's nice enough. I can see why it's catchy. I can see why it was a big hit, but it's a bit meh. Tim Coyle. Yeah, I, re- I really liked it at the time. And we, we, sp- we spoke about that transition from primary school to high school, and this is pretty much the first number one of being in high school. And, well, there's a bit of a story to this song because um, a girl asked me out to the first high school social, Ooh. and I went, and they were playing this song, and then she dumped me for another guy. What's <laughs> <laughs> it? I want to know. And then, well, we're not yeah, knowing. Yeah, out of this. And then, and then, yeah, so, so I went home from I went home from the social, kind of stoically watched a bit of cricket with my dad because uh, I think it was like a tour of England or something at the time. And then went to bed and cried and cried. <laughs> so Sonia Dada are always associated with this for me. So fuck you, Sonia Dada. <laughs> oh, so did you listen to this song? This song was playing when you broke up. With I don't remember. I don't remember. It's just so tied up with that right. whole thing that. Yeah, it's difficult to get past. And listening to it this week, it's kind of part of it is it's annoying. It's got that really ingratiating campfire strum along thing that we spoke about with Mr. Big. Um, there's a little bit of ham in the vocals, but not as much as the others. It's a little bit more restrained. But it's, it's, it's nice enough. Yeah, it's, I find it quite decent. Casey Atkins. Yeah, I quite like this song. <laughs> yeah, I um, I liked it fine at the time. Um, it is a song, however, that I liked and I remember liking it, but I had not thought about it in the 20 years between it dropping off the charts and it coming up to listen to it for 19 hits, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I liked it fine. And when I listened to it um, this week, I... Kind of got into it. That little acoustic guitar riff started. I was like, "Oh yeah, this, this is this is cool." And the harmonies are really nice. And I don't think that the vocals hammy. It's it's soulful. Oh, I, I, mean, said, I said a little. I said yeah. a little bit, it, and it is. It just kind of it fits with that degree yeah. of oversinging that yeah. we've found. You don't really treat me no more. And the, yeah, yeah, the bass yeah, harmony is great. Yeah, um, yeah I, th- I, th- I think it's a good vocal performance. It is a little bit. There are bits in that outro where he just kind of soars a bit, which I'm like, eh, but you know, 
generally good. The thing that I didn't enjoy listening to it this week or the thing that uh, I was, I guess, disappointed by and something you said, Tim Byron, really hits on it, in the verses I think it's really, really nice and kind of restrained and cool and that um, guitar riff is nice and... um, I don't know, just nicely, soulfully played, but then it, it it's supposed to come up in the chorus and the rhythm guitar's there. I'm, I'm just standing there thinking, come on, guys, put a bit of back into it. You know, like, yeah. actually, like, like there's, there's, there's not a little groove happening there and there's that odd backing track, like that percussion thing that's weird. So I, I think the song in there is really nice and I, and I actually quite like it. I think it could have been better played. And I also listened to it thinking, really, this got to number one? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. Yeah. So up until I listened to the song this week, I fucking hated Sonia Dada. <gasps> I just thought they were so shit, that friggin' world music sort of pop thing. And then I realised I was thinking of Inner Circle's Gonna Make You Sweat. <laughs> 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 and then I listened to this song and I went, hold on, this is a different band. Because <laughs> nothing... <laughs> In the last 48 hours. <laughs> 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 Danny subsequently went out and bought everything that Sonia Dada ever did because, yeah. you know, it's on now. But I guess maybe <laughs> says something about how anonymous they were. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like they were just, the one song this reminded me of was freaking Sugar Ray. Like it just had that sort of oh, acoustic yeah. guitar, kind of yeah. breezy kind of thing. And I agree with everyone. It sounded pretty damn nice. It was kind of underproduced and really sort of, I mean, it's not soulful. But it's also really interesting that Sonia Dada uh, falls into the same thing as Hazard that we talked about the other week, which is one of the few songs that got to number one in Australia and barely charted in the US. Yeah. Where are they from? They're from Chicago. Right. But this was just an accidental single. Yeah. Like an, an accidental number one. It didn't chart anywhere else in the world. And it was... Like, I mean, so, like, I actually agree with Casey a lot in terms of all the criticisms of it's a bit slide. Mm. Like, the lyrically, he basically sings the first verse, chorus, and then pretty much repeats the first verse yeah. again. Yeah. And then chorus, and it's, it's pretty slight. There's not much to it. But what there is to it, it sounded nice enough to get to number one in Australia. They weren't. Unlike a lot of songs that we've discussed over the course of this podcast, they weren't trying to get to number one. They're just a little Chicago folk blues band i guess in terms of like being at number one um they were at number two for seven weeks before getting to number one <laughs> so if, really? if Whitney houston didn't exist this oh. would have been number one for like 11 weeks or something and you know they're probably really more famous because of that right i remember seeing them on a high night saturday really they took yeah, australia they did come to australia of wow. course they would have come to australia where else is. would they play <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I just Chicago. Ah, I remember uh, this this really awkward thing of Daryl Summers like kind of like not interviewing them but talking to them after they played the song. It was like, uh, which which one of you is named Sonia? You know, like it was. Oh, Daryl. Yeah, it was this jerk. <laughs> but it, it's it's interesting for me what I thought about it, listening to it this week. How much should, how much this is a precursor to certain style of music that's almost become a cottage industry unto itself of like you've got that blues and roots thing that's just become huge and how much like someone like jack johnson and and they give that vibe off of yeah this is music for people that think their mate dave playing his guitar around the campfire is the height of musical sophistication kind of thing that you get from jack johnson but yeah, 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 a lot of a lot of that kind of music. I can see how this ties into that, and it's it's a it's a forerunner for that. So hmm. you know, they're innovative. If Jack Johnson wrote a melody that's <laughs> this good, it, it deserves. He wouldn't be a punchline to all our jokes. Or Murray, or yeah, I would respect those guys <laughs> because that is just however. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a fun little pop moment that when he sings, and it's just quite nice. And I almost like it more this week. Like, I mean, we've listened to End of the Road and I Will Always Love You this week. Yeah. Like, this is... Well, this yeah. is so unassuming yeah. compared to those. It's such a, like, a palate cleanser it's- after those two, this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, it, but again, it's another it's another breakup song, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It is... There is something going on there, isn't there? Yeah. 1992 and 93 were tough year for the roses. Yeah. <laughs> so, just quickly... Anything else do we know about Sonia Dada? Yeah, I, I actually no did a bit of oh, research. Of course you do. 
And um, of course you did. So the the main like singer songwriter guy in Sonia Dada is a guy called Daniel Pritzler, and um and Daniel Pritzler mm. is incredibly wealthy. Like we're talking um, more wealthy than Paul McCartney. Uh, he 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 apparently has one point six billion dollars these days because he's one of the heirs to the Hyatt hotel chain. No. Yeah. So, really? So that dirty, smelly hippie. Yeah, so that dirty, smelly hippie. <laughs> grew up to be. Turned out to be a yeah, trust right. fund kid. Could have, could have right. getting a drummer on that track. <laughs> <laughs> so I do wonder with Sonia Dada whether Daddy bought, like, yeah. you know, all the other talented musicians to, like, make his songs sound good and then, like, you know, it suddenly somehow accidentally became a hit in Australia, but, like, People in America knew who he was and was like, no, we're not going to play that on the radio. You're a rich kid. Yeah, um, interesting. Well, I mean, so, uh, so he, the album came out on Chameleon, a, a label called Chameleon that was funded by the lead singer of Sonia Dada, which explains a lot. Mm. Right. So he paid for the, He paid for it. Yeah. So, hey, good on him. Well, as this song demonstrates, he was not without talent, so... Yeah, I don't think he was without talent. And it's a good singer. Yeah. If some guy who has billions of dollars managed to add one kind of nice pop song to the world, hey, good on him. Yeah. It's better than what a lot of people with uh, Kajunian dollars do. So. Yeah. yeah. Bill Gates hasn't released a nice pop song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just immunised a whole bunch of kids. <laughs> that passed. <laughs> 90%. Look, I'm not sure there's any more to say about Sonia Dada, so let's move on to our last song of tonight. And this song was number one for just one week. A big change from all the other songs that we've talked about tonight. And this is Ugly Kid Joe with Cats in the Cradle. My child arrived just the other day Came to the world in a usual way But there are planes to catch and bills to pay He learned to walk while I was away He was talking for a minute and as he grew He said, I'm gonna be like you, Dad You know I'm gonna be like you And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man on the moon When you're coming home, son, I don't know That was Ugly Kid Joe with Cats in the Cradle, number one for one week in 1993. And this is, of course, a cover of the, is it Harry Chapin? It's Harry Chapin. Yeah. Uh, Casey Atkins, why don't you start? You know, I liked it at the time. I, um, I don't think I knew the song. Actually, I'm pretty sure I didn't know that it was a cover, you know. Um, but when you... Again, if I could bring up the bands that I'm choosing for Choose Your Own Adventure here. So I've had Screaming Jets and I've had Poison. I liked Ugly Kid Joe. Um, that song, Everything About You, I know we'll talk more about the artists as we go. Um, and they had another single called Neighbour and then this. And I just liked the band and I thought that they were funny and nicely rocking and I just kind of dug them. I thought this was pretty good back then. Um I, I think I was a little bit wowed and blown away by the lyrics in a, like, a 12-year-old, like, whoa, that's, like, so deep, man. And and it kind of is, you know. Um, and it's, 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 it's an amazing song. Fast forward 20 years and, and listening to it now, knowing the original song, knowing that it's a cover song, looking back on about, like, Ugly Kid Joe and listening to it, yeah. I, again, it's not that bad. It's... Um, that band that I liked doing a fairly earnest, fairly faithful cover of a really good song in their style. They didn't really ruin it uh, necessarily. I hate that stupid friggin' sitar sound, but they're just... Um, apart from that, I think that they're a band playing a song in their style, a song that they liked, and yeah. I think that that's kind of, I think that's kind of cool. Tim Byron, what about you? Like Casey, I love, love, love this at the time. Like I thought it was super deep and clever, and um, <laughs> in how it showed the generational divide. I mean, like in nineteen ninety three, in early nineteen ninety three, my parents had been divorced for four or five years by this point, so I didn't really see much of my dad. Like I saw him on weekends, and, right. and he was a sort of high powered businessman at this point before he'd moved out to the country. And um, 
you know, and he, he wouldn't let me play cricket on the weekends because it took too much of his time. You know, if, as you remember from Marvelous. <laughs> and so I never became the Australian cricket captain. But anyway, so like I, I was just thought this song was amazing at the time because it was like, wow, like other people feel this way about their relationships with their parents and, um, you know, the, right. the kind of generational divide kind of thing. So, yeah, so I, I thought this was a great, great song at the time. Listening to it now, the thing that I think is, wow, that's such a really good Guns N' Roses impression. Like it really sounds like Axel. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah. that, and that's the thing I think now, like that they're, they're such a good Guns N' Roses pastiche. And, um, you know, I actually think this is a better version of the song than the original Ch- Harry Chapman version. I don't think Harry Chapman is quite the great singer. I know it's his song, but he doesn't quite sort of sell the song in quite the same way that um, the lead singer of Ugly Kid Joe does. What's the lead singer's name? Casey? Oh, I meant Whitfield, to look it up. Whitfield Crane? From- Whitfield Crane. Whitfield Crane. I'll talk about Whitfield Crane in a second. But yeah, so I, I thought he sung this really well and he gave it a kind of like angst and sort of like a frustration mm. at like, the way that things are that you don't quite hear in Harry Chapman's version. So yeah, I think this is a, a really good version of what's really a fantastic, really cleverly crafted song. Tim Coyle. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> Let's get settled, people. <laughs> no, to, to preface this, my dad is probably Harry Chapin's biggest fan. Right. right. So I knew this. I knew the song before, okay. and I knew the song before this. I, I knew of this version of it, and I think when my dad kind of walked into the living room when I was watching this on Rage one morning and heard it, and he was heartbroken. <laughs> That it, that it had been covered by essentially a metal band and not a style of music he liked at all. And ultimately, I kind of sided with my dad on this. And that's the funny thing insofar as this is a song about distance between fathers and sons, and which Tim Byron's kind of explained quite well. And luckily, I kind of had the other thing. My dad and I have a very close and good relationship and he was always around for me. So, yeah, kind of I was very sympathetic towards him with regard to to this. And, um, yeah, I really didn't like the whiny Axley voice um, that, yeah, just kind of made it a little too angsty. Also, I think it misses... Part of the point of the song, insofar as the whiny, angsty voice means it's the son singing it and it's making the point of, fuck you, dad. Mm. Whereas this is meant to be told from the father's point of view and that these things are happening and the father is not aware of it. And I think that's kind of what is happening in the Harry Chapin version is that he's completely oblivious to what he's doing here. And that comes across in, I, I guess, what... Tim Byron described as the, the flatness of the voice. He's kind of, he's trying, he's playing it a bit straighter um, without trying to sell the irony of it. It's just the lyric is doing that. So, yeah, Ugly Kid Joe, they got no bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, how about you? Well, look, I agree with most people here that, yeah, it was a great song. It's obviously quite a big song for us at our age, right? I mean, I remember so clearly that, you know, this is the version, unlike Tim Coyle, this was my first introduction to this song. And, yeah, a lot of the power that I take away from how I think great this song is, yeah, a lot of it probably does come from the original version. The lyric is stunning. It's breathtaking. It just knocks you out. And when you when you hear this stuff, being a pop music person, like just hearing an unreliable narrator, mm. hearing multiple points of view, all those sort of things mm. that, should not be in the chart. I mean, did how? I mean, how well did the original even do? Like, a in the charts and b just in popular culture. Like, I mean, it wasn't a song that was really even to this day that well known. I think most people of our age still only know this version of the song, right? Yes, yes. Uh, Harry, Harry Chapin's a pretty marginal figure. I mean, my dad liked him, and he fits yeah. into that kind of little niche of artists my dad liked, like Gordon Lightfoot and Tim Harden. Oh, there's no superstar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, yeah, but that was Harry Chapin's level as far as someone who was appreciated by people for his craft and his lyrics sure. and things like that. But, you know, he never reached any great heights as far as selling albums or yeah. 
rave critical reviews or things like that. And those Harry Chapin lunchboxes. Well, the the famous thing about this song is that um, people like really, really, really often confuse it and think it's a Cat Stevens song. Cat Stevens. Like, because yeah. it's called Cats in the Cradle, well, so they think well, it's by Cat Stevens. And so, like, if you look at it on the internet, like, people are like, Cat Stevens, Cats in the Cradle, you know, the Google autocomplete does that. <laughs> well, it's also because of Father and Son. Yeah, which is a very right. similar song, isn't it? Which is the, the other great early 70s singer-songwriter song about father and son relationships. I thought that was a boy's own song. So apparently, um, so I just uh, did the research. This was um, a number six single in Australia in 1974. Oh, wow. The original yeah. Cats in the Cradle. Yeah, the original. And it got to number one in the US. Well, 1974 was not the Unleaked Joe. <laughs> no. So, yes, yeah, so I, I guess, you know, I'm the same with everyone that this is a really, really great, pretty good, good version of a really, really fantastic song. So, Unleaked yeah. Joe. So they obviously had one really, really big worldwide hit, which is everything about you. So the other thing I just want to say is one of the reasons that this podcast even exists is because I love the podcast that is called Pop Dose. Mm -hmm. And let me give a plug for those guys, popdose.com. And they started a new podcast where they just interview musicians that some of the people know, and they spend a good hour, hour and a half talking to musicians about their lives and what they've done and what their career and one of them do they get real brain? So if you're listening to this and you want to hear a great interview with a with a strange nineties legend that is just around has great things to say, check out the Pop Dose podcast. But Ugly Kid Joe going around the table. Uh, well, I mean, I hated them on account of this song and how much it upset my dad. <laughs> but um, <laughs> how did your dad feel about the One Direction? <laughs> it, it was not a favourable response. <laughs> um, look, um, listening to Everything About You this week, which was also a song I really didn't like, I actually enjoyed it a right. lot more uh, around oh. this time. Uh, this time, uh, I still couldn't quite give this version its due. Um, I think I've explained why it kind of it gives its own spin on it, but I think it misses the fundamental point. The like the the big distorted guitars are just kind of undercutting the irony almost. It's making it ominous. This is meant to creep up on you, but it's not mm. meant to hit you around the head. But you know, uh, the other stuff I listened to, I enjoyed. It's it's one of those things that the connection to this song is so tied up with my relationship with my dad that I can't, I just can't give it its due, which everyone else seems to be able to. So, look, I'm pro- I'm probably persuaded that this is actually a decent cover version. I just can't see it because, as I said, this yeah, upset my, it upset the old man. <laughs> Casey Atkins. When we did The Last Juicer and Adventure and I did Better by The Screaming Jets and I talked about how um, that song was a song that I played in the music room in high school about four billion times because it was just one of those songs that everyone could play. Everything About You by Ugly Kid Joe came a close second. Um, So I I played that one like pretty much as many times as I played that. I played it in my band in high school as well. I played it, um, you know, uh, and I I loved it. I, I just... They were like Offspring. They were one of yeah. those bands yeah. that was like a, uh, a rock band that had a pretty good sound but were funny, you know? Yeah. And I just responded to that. I was at the right age for it and I liked rock music and big sounding guitars and I also was kind of getting a bit of a sense of humour and I just thought they were funny. And, and I just I liked them. 90%. So that brings us... Uh, pretty much to the end of another podcast for the night. But as usual, we're going to go around the table and see what everyone's favourite song is. So just to recap, the songs that we talked about tonight were Billy Ray Cyrus with Achy Breaky Heart, Boys to Men with End of the Road, Whitney Houston with I Will Always Love You, Sonia Dada, You Don't Treat Me No Good, and Ugly Kid Joe, Cats in the Cradle. Tim Byron, what's your favourite song from the night? It's got to be Cats in the Cradle by Ugly Kid Joe. Casey Atkins. Uh, you don't treat me no good no more by Sonia Dada. Really? Gets my vote. It gets oh, my vote. Fantastic. Uh, Tim Coyle. Yeah, I'm going with Sonia Dada too. Wow. Even with those painful memories. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and see that this, or, you know, the, 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 a, a song that is a cover of a song that my dad loved and reviled, like, reviled the cover, or Aggie Breaky Heart, <laughs> or Whitney Frickin' Houston. It doesn't so, process of elimination. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ooh. I'm gonna go with I'm always love you. So really, <laughs> yes. yeah, not not boys to men. The boys to men can like, you know what it is? It's sax solo versus bass guy solo. How does bass guy solo lose out? It does. How? Because I cannot keep a straight face. <laughs> you can keep a straight face through that sax solo, though. Yeah, just. Just the guy, I don't feel sexually sort of threatened by the sax solo. <laughs> um, so, ladies and Girl, gentlemen, you know we love belong Sonya together. Dada is the winner. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? What do you know? Look, thank you for listening tonight. Casey, do you want to let people know where they can find us on the internet? Oh, of course. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us uh, on Gmail and Tumblr. Um, we are 90% hit in all instances and percent spelled out in words. Heaps going on on the Tumblr. Um, there's going to be lots and lots more going on on uh, Facebook. That's growing. And uh, please send us an email, um, 90%hits at gmail.com as well. Um, and let us know what you think. Uh, and we actually got, we've been getting some really, really great comments on both the blog and on iTunes. So if you can leave us a review, more, it really helps more, us. please. <laughs> it really helps us, um, you know, be visible and come up with the search results. So, um yeah, we love like, hearing what people think as well. So yeah, especially the bounce on your data. So, <laughs> so yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Vinderella cut it up one time. We are a rock revolving around the golden sun. Welcome back to the MCG all together for the wacker. Fuck you, dude. Adele is music for yeah, everybody. Man. She yeah. speaks to everyone, man. Come on. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's no, a middle-aged housewives who have, like, propelled her to the top of the charts and just kept her there for, for you know, the whole year of 19... Uh, the whole year of, like, 2001 and 2002. No, 2011, sorry. Um, <laughs> it seems like a long time ago, but it's not. When she was seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um... But yeah, so I yeah, mean, this no, song is yeah. album seven. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that one is killer. <laughs>